morning, everybody. Good to see all of you, and uh, I'm glad you're here. We've had a good day. Ramona, that was wonderful. Where are you? That was great. Thank you. Gerald, thank you. It's good that we can uh, have a little different thing sometimes, and that's good. I enjoyed that today. Need to let AJ have a break. Uh, we have a, a guest with us this morning. I want to make sure you're aware of Perry Norman, who's he is kind of the head guy of uh, Deep Impact, sitting down here with our students. Perry is an outstanding leader, and he he is a he is a great resource for missions in our community. Perry, we appreciate you and we value you. Glad you're here with us. If you get a chance to come with us this week to be here at 7 p.m. in worship, or if you're able to come and be a part. Uh, of any of the, the events during the week, um, you know, we'd, we'd love to have you. This is a, a good opportunity for our church and for our community, a good chance to do uh, missions right here in Stokes County. So uh, we look forward to that. I think you've seen in the bulletin about a trip that we're taking to Gettysburg in the fall. If you're interested, I've got some of the itineraries down here on the front row. You're welcome to those, and uh, I'll be glad to answer any questions you have about it. Uh, I want to I want to pick out John again, and I want you to go to the sixth chapter of John. We're going to start with verse 35, and if you were here last week, say, well, Jim, you already talked about verse 35, but I didn't get to talk about it enough, and so we're going to talk about it a little bit more. We're only going to do four verses today. You may even get out early, no promises. If you do, you're welcome, and uh, I don't know how that's going to go. If you don't, that's the way it is. That's the way it works every week, but... This is really a, a powerful passage. I didn't want to rush through it. I think this may be one of the most profound passages in the Bible. And I know a lot of you, uh, if you're human, if you are a believer like the rest of us, then you sometimes wonder about your eternal security. You say, well, am I really, am I really secure in Jesus? Is there anything that I can do to change my security with Christ? Well, Jesus tells us there's not. And so I want you to be assured and comforted and strengthened by this passage today. I'm going to tell you, the Bible is a powerful word from us. And I don't know about your personal stance on the Bible, of how much you read it or how much you study it, or and, and maybe even more importantly, how much you apply it to your life. But I will tell you that this book... Is God's word to us. Isn't that amazing? We have a word from God. And I hear people say all the time, I need a word from God. Then open up your Bible. God has given you 66 books, a word from God. And today we not only have God's word, but we have God speaking to us. And so we should hear that and let his spirit that also instructs and teaches believers just pour over our life. And let it change us. Let me read this passage with you, and then we'll talk about it. John chapter 6, verse 35 through 40. I am the bread of life. Jesus told them, no one comes who comes to me will ever be hungry. No one who believes in me will ever be thirsty again. But as I told you, you've seen me, and yet you do not believe. Everyone the Father gives me will come to me, and the one who comes to me I will never cast out. For I have come down from heaven not to do my own will, but the will of him who sent me. This is the will of him who sent me, that I should lose none of those he has given me, but should raise them up on the last day. For this is the will of my Father, 
that everyone who sees the Son and believes in him will have eternal life, and I will raise him up on the last day. Father, thank you for your word. I just pray that you'll speak clearly to us with it today. Touch our hearts. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. I have four points. I want you to look at them briefly with me. I want to tell you, first of all, that only Jesus will bring us real security and satisfaction. We talked about that last week. Jesus, in the first of the I Am statements that he makes in the book of John, he said, I'm the bread of life. In other words, Jesus is our nourishment. He is our food. He is the source of our encouragement. He's the source of life. We talked about what bread meant to us, that it was nourishment, that it was something we needed, that it it helped bring us together, that bread strengthened us, that bread gave us the strength to do another day. It sustains us. It sometimes encourages us. It it's, it's something we share with other people. We talked about bread last week. I don't, I don't, I think you get it. Jesus said, I am the bread of life. Whatever you work for, whatever your bread is in this world, it is trumped by who Christ is. Christ is more important than anything else you do. And that's what he's saying. If you're in life and you have everything, if you have all the money and all the great jobs and all the riches and all the position and all the power and you don't have Christ, then you don't have enough. That's what he tells you. That's profoundly important. And for me and you, why it's even harder? Because we have so much. I mean, we, we can, we can almost satisfy ourselves with what we have. We think. But you know, that's, that's the difficulty. Is that God has placed in us a desire, a thirst after Him. You know, the Psalms gives us some great lessons. Psalm 42, as a deer longs for flowing streams, so I long for God, your God. I thirst for God, the living God. I, I thirst. You know, there are people that are unhappy. They don't have any reason to be unhappy. They got everything in this world. That's because they thirst for God and it's not being satisfied. If you're, if you're getting everything but you don't have God, you, you don't have enough. So Jesus said, I am the bread of life. I'm what you need. I'm your nourishment. And so that's a great lesson for us that we have to have a relationship with Christ. We, yeah, the word is have to. To be satisfied. To be content, to be fed, you, you have to have a relationship that you are regularly nourished by the Word of God. If this is the only nourishment you get, well, I mean, that's something, but you're going to go away hungry. It would be like that the only lunch, I'm, the only meal I'm going to eat on Sunday is Sunday lunch. That's not enough. I mean, it could be a great lunch. It's just not going to do it. You got to have nourishment from God. You, you got to, He intended us to know that he was the source of our nourishment. And that's because all these people wanted everything that Jesus had. They wanted, they wanted all the bread that he brought. He fed 5,000 people. They wanted more of that. They were coming, what, what are you going to feed us next? What's the next meal? And he said, you don't need a meal. I'm your meal. I'm who you need. I'm the bread of life. And then Jesus says something very profound. And I didn't talk about this very much last week. Because it was right at the end of my message and I didn't really have time to go. But it said, 
No one who comes to me will ever be hungry. And no one who believes in me will ever be thirsty again. He has given us the conditions of salvation. We have to first come to Christ. We have to come to him. That's what he says. You have to come to him. You have to trust him. You you have to know who he is. You have to surrender to him. You have to come to him. He says, no one, no one who ever comes to me will be hungry. That's that's stunning. He didn't say you got to have a good job, you have a good education, you got to have all this stuff. He said you have to come to Christ. Students, that's your charge. If you're going to be content, you have to come to Christ. You, you can't get there any other way. I, there's no other solution. And if you look at all the unhappiness and all the discontent and all the misery in our world, it's because people have disobeyed this simple, this simple but profound spiritual truth. You have to come to Christ. And then he said that you have to believe in him. And, and you, you have to come to him and you have to believe in him. You have to, you have to accept that Jesus is who he says he is. You have to, you don't just, well, I believe in Jesus. And I'm going to go live the way I want. What what happens is that when we enter a relationship, that we come to Christ and we believe in him, we're profoundly different people. We're not the same. We, we just aren't. We, and, and let me tell you that if you came to Christ and believed in him years ago and you are the same, I don't know. That's between you and God. But I will tell you that God... When I came to him, and when I gave my life to him, and I believed in him, and trust us, I, I believed that he was who he said he was, he changed my life. Now, I, it's not been a perfect record of change. <laughs> it goes step, up a step, back a half step, up a, two steps, back a half a step. It's, it's up and back. It's, but God is getting, moving me to where he wants me to be. But, it is important that I'm moving. And I think, and I think as a Christian, you'll look at your life and you'll say, yeah, God is doing some of these things in our life. What, one of the things that God changes is that our sins. You know, some of the things that I used to like to do and enjoyed doing, I don't, I don't care about it. I don't want them. It's not that I have to make myself not to do things. God has taken away the desire. And that's what coming to him and believing in him will do. It brings about that kind of change. Spurgeon said, either you and your sins must separate or you and your God will never come together. If you just keep doing the same old stuff that God tells you not to do, it's a problem with your spiritual life. Because God will gradually, when you come to him and believe in him, he'll gradually take that away from you. And you just won't want to do it. That's that's what that means. That's very, very important. It's inseparable that we come to God and we believe in him. And so our hunger for God does these things for us. It We come to Christ, we believe in him, and he fills us spiritually with what we need. That's why it's so important to come to him. And it's an ongoing process. It's an ongoing nourishment. It's an ongoing feeding that we have. And so that's very, very important. Number two. It's interesting in verse 36 that some people saw Jesus and, and they didn't believe in him. Jesus looked around at him, 
at the crowds around him. And there were some that liked him and some that believed in him. He has disciples that uh, I kind of picture them as not really knowing what's going on at this point. They're, they're baffled by the power of their master. And they hear what he says and they see him as a carpenter from Nazareth and I think they're still struggling. But they, they're beginning to get it. But there were a lot of people that didn't believe in Jesus at all. Can you imagine? There are people that saw Jesus feed 5,000 people with a few pieces of bread and a few fish and they still didn't believe. They saw him heal people and they still didn't believe. They would see him raise Lazarus from the dead a year later and they would still not believe. Well, there's a lesson for us. I mean, just just seeing miracles is not enough. Just seeing things going on is not enough for some people. Some people are very hardened. They're, they're just hard. They just aren't going to get there. And, you know, we Christians, we get really discouraged about that group of people. Because we think, well, you know, if the gospel should be able to penetrate and it should be able to get here and it should be able to do this, I will tell you, you and I are not responsible for how people respond. We're only responsible that we take the message to them. That's our job. That we get the message in front of them. That we love them and treat them the way Christ wanted them to be treated. They're responsible to God for their own response to it. What happens? It's, it's not, it's not us. I just, I'm telling you all this because I don't, I don't want you, we shouldn't be discouraged because there are people that don't respond. But what we should do is we should be persistent and we should pray for them and we, we should, we should love them and we should talk to them and never give up. Never give up. But recognize not everybody will come to Christ. I mean, Jesus looked right at people. The, can you imagine? Right there in front of the very Son of God and they turned him down. Happened every day that he ministered. We see it often in the New Testament. It, it was very discouraging. Later on in this very chapter, um, many of the disciples, many of the followers deserted him. It's hard. It's difficult. Jesus didn't say, when you guys come to me and believe in me, it's going to be a great life. Your problems are going to be solved. You're going to have plenty of money. You're going to have a great job and everything's going to work out. He said, no, following him would be a cross. You have to take a cross up. Now, I like, I like the other idea better. It sounds better. It preaches a lot better. Draws a better crowd. It's not what the Bible said. It's not what they said. So there are going to be people that don't believe. Third thing, and this is really important. I'm going to look at two verses here. 37 and 38. God is sovereign over salvation. If you don't learn anything else, I want you to learn that. I want you to learn that God is sovereign over our salvation. You know, uh, if I ask you how, if you are a Christian, how you came to Christ, you would probably say to me, well, uh, I did this. I came forward and did this. And you know, right there, you're, you're wrong. Because before you ever came and made any kind of decision, whether it was at an altar or the office of your pastor, your youth pastor, or your parents or your friend, however you came to know Jesus, before, before any of that happened, God began working in your life. He began the process of salvation. In fact, uh, one of my favorite verses in all the Bible that I love to read 
And anytime, if you say, let's do a Bible study, Jim, I'll go to the book of Ephesians and I'll open up chapter one and it'll say there that before the foundation of the world, God chose you. And you say, oh boy, there's that predestination stuff. That's really scary. But God chose you. He began a work in you. And that's the reason that you came to Christ. That's why he did it. Now, I've got a bunch of verses I could share with you, and I'm, I'm not going to share them all with you because I, I don't think you need to hear them all. But I want you to, I mean, I could tell them all to you. They're all great, but that'd be the 1230 sermon that we finish up. But let me, let me tell you this one, and, I, and this is one you know. It's in Romans 8 and uh, verse 28, but I want you to listen. I want you to listen to God's choosing in here. We know that all things work together for the good of those who love God and are called according to his purpose. So that's a good one. We like that verse of scripture. We go to that in time of trouble because we can look at our difficulty in life and say, this is clearly within God's plan because we know that all things will work together for good that for those that love God and are called according to his purpose. That's a truth that you and I can have. So nothing is outside of God's realm. Sometimes we think things are so bad, they're outside of God's realm. They're not outside of God's realm. They're clearly within God's sovereignty, which is over everything. But listen to this. For those he foreknew, that's us, he knew us before time, he also predestined us to be conformed to the image of his son. So before there was time, God predestined us believers to be conformed in the image of his son. He had a plan for us. I can't see Perry. I have a hard time with that because I can't imagine God would care enough about me before the foundation of the world that he would predestine me to be conformed to his son. That's exactly what his word says. That's really important. So that we, that he would be the firstborn among many brothers and sisters. And those he predestined, he also called. There's called. And those he called, he justified. And those he justified, he glorified. So this is what it meant. This is what that means. This is how important you are to God. That before time, God had you in mind. He chose you. He called you. He justified you. That is, he made you right with Christ. And he's making you Christ-like every day. That's the sanctification. That's why you got to eat the bread of life. <laughs> That's how you get sanctified. That's how he changes you. So here's, here's this whole thing I want you to understand, the takeaway. God is sovereign over everything. There's not anything that God's surprised by. You know, we studied... Abraham's call, uh, Abraham today, when God ordered Abraham to go up on the mountain and sacrifice his son Isaac. We studied that in Sunday school. And so our question was, it, was God surprised by Abraham's answer? Absolutely not. God knew what Abraham would do. He is sovereign over everything. There is nothing that God doesn't know about. But you and I are free to choose and God will hold us accountable for our decision. But then you say, well, Jim, now this is, I know you're thinking this. I know somebody out here saying, you know, I don't know if he called me or not. I mean, maybe I'm not one of the called. But the Bible says, whoever, and I'll let the King James is best. It says, whosoever, whosoever believes in him 
will not perish, but have everlasting life. So God is sovereign, but whoever believes in him is one of his. And there's some tension there. There's, there's a little struggle that, but both of those are biblical truths. And I want you to understand that today. You have no fear in the sovereignty of God. And they're Christians. I hear this all the time. Whenever I bring up the idea of God's sovereignty or God's predestination, I, somebody says to me, you know, afterwards, they'll send me an email, sit down in my office, you know, preacher, I, I just don't know if God chose me. Well, I'm going to tell you, if you said yes to God, he chose you. That's the, that's the truth. That's what the Bible says. So this is, this is not even my, my eternal security point in this sermon, but this is eternal security. If you choose Christ, you're one of His. That's it. That's how important that is. It's pretty simple. Don't fear that. And then Jesus says in verse, um, in verse 38, He says, for I've come down from heaven not to do my will, but the will of him who sent me. You know, God chose us. Christ is down in the earth carrying out that will. That's his purpose. That's his eternal purpose. He's not here on his own agenda. He didn't come to earth to do that. He came to do exactly what God sent him to earth to do. And it's all for our benefit. He sent Christ to earth to reconcile us, to bring us back into fellowship with God. And you know, that's a, that's, that's something that, that if you sit down before God and you realize how much He loved you and how much He cared for you and how much He sought after you, that He sent His only Son, the only Son that He had, and He sacrificed Him for us. Church, I hope you're awake and heard that. I really do, because that's so important. He did that for us. Because he loved us. Number four. See, we're getting there. There's eternal security in Christ. Don't ever forget that. A lot of people get worried about their salvation. I, you know, uh, I, I get worried about my salvation. I mean, we do. We, but, but that's why you need to be in the Word. I'm going to tell you something. I'm not as worried about my salvation as I used to be. I came to Christ when I was 11, and probably by the time I was 12, I was back in the preacher's office. Asking him, how do I know that I'm saved? Because I knew what kind of person I was and I knew that I wasn't perfect and God began to show me my sin and I knew I was a long way from there. And I thought, how could he save anybody like that? But there's eternal security in your decision. The Bible tells us that. And if you read and study the Bible, you get it. Here's what he says. And see, verse 39 and verse 40, they say a lot of the same thing. And, and that's the reason I really think this is written for people like me that just are kind of slow to get stuff. So Jesus said it twice in a little bit different way, just so we get it. This is the will of him who sent me, that I should lose none of those that he has given me, but should raise them up on the last day. That's, that's, his, that's his will. That's the Father's will. And, and Jesus would say later in John uh, chapter 10, he would say this over in verse 27. And I'm going to preach a whole sermon on this, but I'm just going to give you a little. We hadn't got there yet. My sheep hear my voice. I know them and they follow me. I, I give them eternal life and they will never perish. Never. No one. The words of Jesus. No one will snatch them out of my hand. My father who has given to me. Them to me is greater than all. No one is able to snatch them out of the Father's hand. That's eternal security in Christ.
If you have trusted Christ, now I know somebody's out there saying, well, I believe in him, but I'm not perfect. I believe in him, but I, I don't know what, what that means. I mean, you preachers always say believe and then you define it. Believe is, is believe. That you, you take Jesus for exactly who he is and you have given your life to him as best and as imperfectly and as sporadic as we are as Christians, but you've done that. And Jesus on the authority of God says, no one will snatch those God's given to me out of my hand. Isn't that amazing church? I mean, y'all, isn't it amazing? Yes, 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 it's amazing. <laughs> it's amazing. It, it is truly amazing. On the last day. You see, Jesus is thinking about eternity. I don't think we think about eternity a lot. I I think about it more and more. You know, I didn't used to think about eternity. I thought eternity was something in the Bible. But you know what? Now that I'm 62, I think I'm not 40 anymore. I'm certainly not 30. I must be getting closer to eternity. My body tells me I'm getting closer to eternity. But but you know what? I'm fine with that. I'm good with that. I I think you know what the Bible says? And, and Peter Peter says this, I think in first Peter chapter two, he says that this earth is not our home. We don't even live here. In fact, again I like the King James word. He says we're Travelers and sojourners, we're visitors. Uh, I talked to Leroy's grandson this week, and he'd been to Hawaii. Now, Hawaii's a beautiful place. I said, you have a good time? He said, I had a great time, but I was ready to come home. I said, you're ready to come home from Hawaii? <laughs> you know why? Because Hawaii's not his home. And I think, I think there is in every believer a time that we start looking at eternity and so the things of eternity are more important to us than the things of the world. And I think that's something God does for us. You know, we realize that we're not going to live forever and that our bodies are going to wear out and things aren't as easy now. But we say, well, you know, this isn't my home. And one day God's going to take me home and I'm going to be in his presence. That's his promise. That's what you get out of his word. That's a, that's a mighty hope to carry every day. There is no fear. There's no worry in a hope like that. Because you can walk out of here and get run over by a car or have a heart attack or one of the millions of things could happen to people that happens every day. And you know you transform from this world to the presence of God. That's what the Bible promises us. That's so important, church. You've got to have that. And if you don't have that, then you're living in the same danger, the same position of one moment here and one moment there, but you don't know where you'll be on the other side. Well, actually you do. And you know exactly what the Bible says about the other side if you're not a believer. But Jesus said, if you have trusted him and given your life to him, he will raise you up on the last day. That's a powerful promise. It's a powerful promise. I want to read verse 40 to you in case you missed it. Because I did that in my Bible. I said, I'm going to read it again because I think I, I think I get it better. For this is the will of my Father, Jesus said, that everyone who sees the Son and believes in Him will have eternal life and I will raise Him up on the last day. Everyone. Amen? Yeah. <laughs> That's great. Don't be afraid of that. Don't be afraid of that. 
And so, I'm going to tell you, I write my Bible all the time. This is a brand new Bible, already writing in it. I think what I'm going to start doing is giving my Bibles to my kids for what it's worth. But this Bible is God's word. All of this is contained in there. You and I need to live by this book. We need to study it and apply it and love it. And sometimes we need to take the promises and hold them to our heart and say, that is all I have in this world is the promise of God. But I have that. And it is unshakable and unmovable. As much as God himself is unshakable and unmovable. There is no hope in this world without Christ. I want you to know that. I want to say that as clearly and as plainly as God allows me. If you do not have Christ in your life, you have no hope. The only hope is is that God will lead you to the cross. To recognize who you are. And to make that change in your life. And he does a change. You just come to him. Your decision. And you know, most of our decisions, here's the way we decide. We say, ah, I'm not going to say no to Jesus. I'm just not going to say yes right now. I'm going to wait. And see, you know how that is. Is a no, a wait now is a no. So you got to say yes. And when you say yes, the doors of eternity are open for you. And for me. I wish I could do that for my children, but I can't. They have to see it themselves. I wish I could do it for you. You know, I wish I could just cover you with, and say, I, you know, I think in a, in a moment in my study, I grasped the greatness of heaven and I, I just want to include everybody and I can't do that. I can't do it. You have to do it. And it's so profoundly important. And, and so many times we just talk about it and, and you know, I go over these verses and I, I, and I said, what, what do I finish the sermon with? And I said, well, how about finish it with this? That if we believe in Christ, we'll have eternal life and he'll raise us up on the last day. And if you don't have that, you don't have eternal, well, you have eternal life, but not with Christ. And, and he won't raise you up on the last day. He'll resurrect you for the second death. Christ has given us an unlimited future with him. My prayer is that all of you have that and that you say, Lord, I want you to be Lord of my life. And I want to, I want to take part of the bread that you offer every day because I need it. And I have, I'm discouraged and I'm, I'm beaten down and I'm worried, but I know my eternal future is here. Unshakable. That's a promise of God. Let's pray together. Father, thank you for your word. Oh God, I pray. If there's one here that doesn't know you and doesn't, doesn't understand this personally, that you'll draw them to you. Whether you draw them to this altar, you draw them to my study or draw them to the friend of, of a, of a, of a believer. Lord, I just pray you'll, you'll touch them to do something today. Let us not be the same. We thank you that you've given us security we can hang on to that's unshakable in this world. We thank you that you love us that much. Lord, let us be people that rejoice in it, celebrate it, promote it, advance it. And, and God, look forward to it. I thank you for your word. Touch us with your spirit. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.